your one stop for exclusive interviews. I'm joined by University of Central Oklahoma quarterback commit Cooper Wilcox. Cooper, thank you for taking the time to talk to me today. Man, really, the culture that the coaches show as soon as you walk in the doors, they make you feel like your family. They make it feel like a, a healthy environment to come and play football. I'm joined by University of Central Oklahoma senior H-back Dante McGee. Dante, thank you for taking time this morning to talk to me. This is honestly a once-a-lifetime thing, you know. Usually you get your five years and you're done, but you know, you get an extra year of play. I was like, you know what, I, I want to come back. I want to spend another year with these guys. Game press conferences. I didn't really like my first read, so I was just went to playmaker mode. Game previews, recaps, brought to you by me, your host, JG Smooth. You're listening to The Cho Show, only on the Suave Report. Good morning, afternoon, evening, night, whatever time it might be. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Show Show Podcast presented by TheSwaveReport.com. I'm your host, Jonathan Goodo, a.k.a. J.G. Smooth. We're back, brand new week. Uh, we should have, we at least have this episode, maybe two more, maybe. I, I don't know. I'm recording this, uh, full disclosure, recording this on Thursday, and uh, I there's supposed to be one planned for Monday, and then we had uh, a player, unfortunately, get sick. I'm going to try to get him on, too, at some point. So there may only be one this week. Might be up to three, so just keep an eye out there. But uh, this is a guy, uh, you listened to the last one-on-one with uh, running back coach J- J- Justin Gilbert. I do appreciate coach coming on. He was directed the very first name uh, that he mentioned when talking about his unit. So without further ado, I'm going to go ahead and bring on my guest now. I'm joined by University of Central Oklahoma running back Peyton Scott. Peyton, thank you for talking to me this afternoon. Uh, could you start by telling the viewers and listeners a little bit about yourself? Well, you know, I'm a junior uh, on the field. I'm a senior in the classroom. I've been at UCO since 2018. I come from Sand Springs, Oklahoma. I wrestled at Sand Springs, played football at Sand Springs, ran track. You know, I'm just an average guy, you know, and I just love playing football. See, you say your average guy, but fuck that. The average guy can't say they were the Gatorade player of the year. They have the single season rushing record in the state with over 2,500 yards, 33 touchdowns. He also ran for 507 yards and seven touchdowns in a, in a game. So what like, what about that, that 2017 season what was, was working for you? Because, I mean, that, that's a lot of yards and a lot of touchdowns. Man, you know, uh, I was blessed to be able to play four years varsity ball. And by my senior season, you know, I just felt like a man, you know, amongst boys. And, you know, I had 2,000 yards as a junior or 1996 right at that marker. I had 21 touchdowns as a junior in high school. And, you know, going into my senior year, I just wanted to step it up. The goal was 2,000 again or 2,500. And I wound up getting, you know, 2,597 or something like that. It's just... It's just a different time. You know, they gave me the ball a lot. And, you know, I was just, uh, how can I say, blessed to be in that situation in general. And and, and from a from a durability standpoint, like how were you able to manage that workload? Because you're not you're not a big guy. So yeah. how so how were you kind of able to manage that that wear and tear? You know, uh I wouldn't say uh I'm not the tallest guy, but you know, I'm real you know, stocky. And you know, that year I was in the weight room, I went up to Missouri. I trained with my brother-in-law. He was a baseball and basketball player at Lincoln. Uh, and he got me right for that season and the season before that. And I was just 
working harder than everybody else and just felt like I put my body in the best position to carry me through that. And it was actually funny, a week into wrestling season after, you know, 300 plus carries, I broke my hand the first week into wrestling. So the door, the durability in football was there, but it just wasn't there my uh, senior year in wrestling. Now, I know your your uh, new head coach, Adam Doral, he loves wrestlers. You wrestled. So how how did being a wrestler help you on the football field? See, you know, I feel like as a running back, it kind of set me back. You know, I think balance-wise, it was nice and everything. But, you know, taking off, you know, two months, three months of just not running, you know, not being in basketball or being in track, focusing on sprinting as it made me tougher and mentally tougher and, you know, ready for this situation in college to just be, you know, on my own and just have to depend on working on myself. Wrestling really developed that. But as far as long as like a physical aspect of wrestling impacted my football playing, it didn't really impact me. It was more mental than anything with cutting weight and just being more self-driven. That's what wrestling really taught me. And, and, and how, how tough is that to kind of get your body uh, ready for two different sports. Obviously, f- football shape is different than wrestling. So, like, what mm-hmm. was that? What is that process like of kind of going from football to wrestling and then back from wrestling to football? You know, it is a taxing experience because what people don't understand is like you could be in shape for football, go into wrestling, and just be totally out of shape. You know, we have a teammate here at UCO, Trayvon, and he wrestles for the uh, wrestling team here. And we talk all the time. It's just, it's so hard to get into wrestling shape and then back into football shape because you don't run, you you run during wrestling, but you don't sprint. You don't change direction a lot. You know what I'm saying? You're always just in that crouch down position of that stance. So it kind of tightens up your hips and things like that. So loosening up the hips and then just like running and wrestling, like that's how you get into that type of shape to wrestle and football is just a sport about running. Like once you get running and getting back into it, it comes easy. It's not as bad as uh, as rest, going from football to wrestling. That's a really difficult thing to do. Now from, from a, from a weight room standpoint, is, is there a major difference between the workouts you do for football and what you would do for wrestling? Uh, I mean, I know that I didn't really work out during wrestling. Like, with the weights because I was cutting like 10, 15 pounds. I never really worked out during wrestling. Like it's all so much live work, drill work and technique. Like we didn't really have that big of a, a weight room uh, presence in wrestling, but in football is, is totally different. I was blessed in high school to have a strength and conditioning coach who played college football, who knew the ideals of how a college weight room was going to look and taught me, taught us how to power clean, taught us how to hand clean and things like that. So, you know, football is so much more explosive work and so much more just building on that mass and wrestling. It's just about getting endurance, muscle endurance and having that uh, conditioning to go through a a nine minute match. Uh, You mentioned cutting, cutting weight. Now that's something you hear a lot, especially people follow boxing, um, any kind of combat sport. So like what, what is the difficulties of, of, of cutting, of cutting weight? Uh, just the discipline of it, you know, and the responsibility you have to keep to yourself to, you know, maintain your weight throughout the season. And what people don't understand is, you know, you get two pounds after, you know, December in high school. So if you're wrestling 152, which I did, it is, you had to weigh in at 154, but 
that's not a hard weight after you make 152 flat, you know, and once you make it once, you're always hovering around that weight. I mean, 10 pounds is really nothing. I mean, I've cut 25 pounds in three days. Like, that's the worst type of experience when you don't know that you have to cut. And then the coach comes to you and says, hey, we need you at this weight, you know, and it's just all mental, really. It's just getting into the uh, the the wrestling room and just getting that weight off, whether that's through a sauna suit, uh, sweet sweat, or just, you know, the traditional just like wrestling, wrestling, you know, it's just maintaining stuff and being responsible. I never missed a weight, uh, you know, thankfully, because I was disciplined enough, but I've seen so many guys miss it by 0.3, 0.2, because, you know, they just want a sip of water, you know, the day before they feel like they could float something off before the weigh-in. And then you'd wind up not floating anything off because you don't really have anything to, you know, boost that metabolism. Man, okay, but now you said you had the 25 pounds and you said three days? Yeah, it was... <laughs> It was a, uh, it was an experience. I was like 16 years old. We were going to Daytona, Florida for cadet national duels. And coach was like, Hey, I know you've been wrestling at this weight all year and you beat the kid that, uh, is at your weight, but we just feel like you're, you know, a better wrestler at this weight. And, uh, I just said, yeah. And I cut 25 pounds in three days, but you know, we had three practices per day for, four days. So it really wasn't, I mean, it was difficult, but <laughs> they gave you the opportunity. They gave you the opportunity to, you know, get the weight off. Well, I mean, so, so like how, okay. Cause how did you shed it that, like that fat? Was it just a lot of like a lot of workouts? No, or what, I mean, what? <laughs> yeah. no, hey, no food. Uh, there's this thing called spark energy and I was living off of spark energy <laughs> and fumes really i mean we were we worked out at osu for that week and there's a couple guys in there and we're out there crying you know we're just teenagers and john smith comes in the osu wrestling coach and he's like hey this is part of the sport you know if you want to go far in this sport this is something you're you know you have to do and i guess that's when i knew i wasn't going to be a wrestler <laughs> i was good at it you know i was good at it but i've always loved football and Football's been my passion. I was a state champion wrestler. I wrestled with, you know, some of the. Uh, and okay, so now I have to ask, what, what, what was that? What was that first meal like after that? Because you, you, you went, you went days without it. Well, here's the thing. I don't. I'll tell this to anybody. The biggest thing you miss while you cut weight is not food it's water <laughs> like taste <laughs> the water or gatorade or pedialyte or sprite that there's nothing that competes with that i mean because your stomach shrinks so mm. it's kind of hard to eat food but man that that first taste of water when your mouth is just really dry like the sahara mm. <laughs> there's nothing like it all right <laughs> <laughs> uh, so you you ended up I guess with an opener, you ended up being the, the, the Gatorade player of the year. So like talk about when you first learned that and what was your reaction to that? You know, I actually remember the that morning, you know, they we went through a, a process with uh some of the people from Gatorade where they would interview me. They asked them, you know, about my GPA and things I did in the community as far as community service. 
And I knew I was up for the award. And they told me around December 10th of 2017, they were like, that's the day we'll, we'll try, you know, we'll try to get it out to everybody, you know, in each state to say who's Gatorade player of the year. And, you know, I woke up that morning to uh, a tweet saying that, you know, congratulations, Peyton Scott for winning Gatorade player of the year. And, you know, it was just surreal. You know, I, I didn't expect something like that. We were five and six. We didn't really have the greatest team season. And I know I had a great year, but, you know, just to have that, you know, acknowledgement. And there's only one other person from my high school to even win a Gatorade, you know, player of the year. And that was Shy and Weldon. She won it two times for track and field. And it's just to have my name, you know, written in concrete and not in dirt at my high school is something that I'll always be forever grateful for. Cause you know, you walk into Ed Doobie field house in Sand Springs and you're going to see my name in the rafters, you know, Peyton Scott Gatorade player of the year, 2017, 2018. So it's just surreal and just a blessing, you know, and I want to build, I've always wanted to build off that and not be finished. Uh, So you finished your career with 5,826 yards, 71 touchdowns, a lot of honors. What, what, what would you say looking back was the most memorable part of your high school career? Hmm. That is a, that is, that is very, very uh, difficult question. (laughs) Uh, I've had some great games. You know, you said I had 500 yards. Uh, I would say, I would have to say my junior year, we played Choctaw week two and it was kind of like they handed me the keys to the car, you know, and they gave me like 48 carries. I had like 270, three tuds and it was just a great game. And it was just that moment where they just said, Hey, you're going to be the workhorse. And that was something I always was waiting for. Cause I knew, you know, I, personally, I always felt like I was the best back in the state, no matter how tall I was. And no matter where I went to school, if it was six, eight, two, six, eight, one, I always felt like I was the best back. So just to, uh, be able to have that opportunity, be able to be the main staple in the offense that I remember coming off at the end of the game, I was dead tired, but it was just like, man, we're going to be, we're going to be good. I'm going to have an opportunity to show what I'm really about. Now, I mean, now, now the, the, the next day, were you able to move? Man? <laughs> like 48 carries. Right? I mean, 48 carries. That was my first, you know, 30 plus carry, you know, game. As a sophomore, I only had 30, uh, like a thousand yards, 13 touchdowns. So like, I didn't, I was only averaging 13 carries a game type, but you know, 48 Ks was different. Like, it was like you got hit by a bus, but that wasn't the last time they were going to give me the ball 45 plus times. So I just had to get used to that. Now, now how, how many how many carries did it take you to get the 500 yards? Uh, 45. I didn't even play the fourth quarter. I had, well, I guess I played the first series of the fourth quarter. Didn't play anything else. And the craziest thing about that game is like, we had to win that game to make the playoffs. We were five, uh, we were four and six at the time and we had to beat them to place fourth in our division. So like that was a big game going into it and like we really needed it. And, you know, I had like three fifteen or something at half and just blew up in the third. And he was like, yeah, yeah. Like four eighty right now. And I was like, I mean, I can stay out. Like I don't need to go back in Four eighty is a cool number. Like that's a good number. But he was like, nah, let's try to get to 500. So it took like three or four uh, more carries, and then I wind up getting 500 yards. 
to also like what 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 was I mean that because I have first of all I have that much at halftime. Then you're 20 yards off to start the fourth. So like what was what was working for you there? I mean, we ran two plays, and I got a shout out like my offense alignment, my two guards from high school, Zach Blake and Myron uh Myron Kratzer, like we ran power and inside zone, and we pulled both of them all game. And they couldn't do anything. And I mean, the year before I had like 340 on them. And I just I was like just broken a record too. So I I told my dad like three weeks before the game, because we we'd had been watching film of them on defense just through other uh opponents. And I was like, if I don't have 400 yards, just disown me as your son, because they're not that good. And I wanted to have them 500. <laughs> Wait a minute. No, <laughs> no, just how crazy that sounds. Most backs go into the game. The goal is 100. <laughs> you came into the game with the goal of 400. Oh, you know what? Well, like, <laughs> my senior year at high school, I felt like I could walk into any high school stadium with 200 yards in my pocket. Like I, That's how confident I was as a senior. And I felt like my resume coming up to the senior proved that, you know, 1,000 as a sophomore. 2000 as a junior, you know, 21, 13 t- touchdowns, both those years. Like I felt like I was, you know, I was fully capable of producing numbers like that. Okay. I mean, cause some of us only do that in video games. This man didn't. Okay. <laughs> well, uh, so we go from that very storied career. So then how, how, how do you then decide that UCO is where you want to play your college ball? Well, you know, uh, the co-offense coordinator at the time was uh, Coach Jackson, Jarrell Jackson. And I had known him since I was about eight years old. And, you know, I had pretty much most of the MIAA looking at me. And it was really between Fort Hayes, Pitt State, and here, or going to OSU and wrestling. I had that opportunity, but I knew I wanted to play football. And, you know, things kind of fell out with Fort Hayes. You know, they pay more to those in-state guys in Kansas. And, you know, Pitt State, you know, I just I'd been up there for team camp for four straight years. And, you know, I was very familiar with Pitt State, but they just gave me a vibe that I really didn't enjoy. I really didn't like, you know, they kind of felt like I was going to go to Sand Springs 2.0. He was talking about giving me the ball 40 times and I wasn't looking for that in college. So, you know, it kind of fell into the hands where, you know, I knew Coach Jackson. I knew how this offense was coming in. and. I know you follow UCO. In 2017, we had an explosive offense. Josh Crockett, you know, all those guys. And I saw how Bruce was doing the little running back, number 22. I was like, man, I could go in, produce 200 yards just like him. And, you know, I really trusted in what Coach Jackson was doing. So I came here really kind of because of Coach Jackson, who wanted to believe in my first year. And then, you know, it just – it's history from there. <laughs> Now you 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 redshirted. So what now? How like what was that experience? Because you went from being four year varsity, obviously, five you know five hundred yards in a game. How, so going from that to then not even playing in a game, what was that? What was that redshirt year like? You know, I'd say this: it was humbling, and I was blessed because you know Clay McKenzie was the guy who I came in, and he was like the starting back. Him and Justin Curry. And I tell you this, Clay McKenzie really taught me how to be a college athlete, really. You know, the way he worked, the way he handled himself in, you know, in meetings with the coaches as a leader, 
Like it was really, I had to take a step back and say, Hey, you know, I'm not good enough to play this first year. You know, they have a lot of guys in this room that have been here or old. And I had to sit here and say, Hey, I got to learn now, now that I'm not going to be able to play. I got to learn. I got to, you know, supply these guys on the scout team. Cause I wasn't on scout team for the first two, three weeks. Cause I was on the edge of traveling. So I was kind of getting played with a little bit, but you know, red shirting is just a experience. And just, I, I tell all the cats that red red shirt now or, or going to red shirt. It's like, you got to be able to uh, make it through that year. And if you can make it through a red shirt year, there's no reason you shouldn't be able to make it through four, three more years. So what was the hardest part of the red shirt season? Uh, I would just say just getting acclimated to the game of football, uh, the game of college football. You know, uh, I'll tell you guys like Colton Lindsay, Alexander Figueroa, Dylan Hall, Brian Burns, they don't make it easy on a scout team, you know. <laughs> and back then, like these cats now, they don't they don't go to the ground on scout team. They, you know, it's two hand touch. But back then we were tackling in scout team. And if they scored, if we scored as a scout team, they had to run hills. So uh, they were going all out. And that was probably the toughest thing is just being on scout team. And, you know, those other red shirts don't want to, you know, block the, you know, block Justin Stewart, uh, Eli Hooks. They don't want to block those guys. And you're taking big old hits. It's just practicing, getting ready, you know, just uh, how can I say, taking your lumps. That's the hardest thing. Uh, so then we get to the following year. Your, your, your first college game, just describe to me what that experience was like. You know, it was just uh, honestly, it was surreal. You know, I was a special teams guy uh, that first year. Uh, we played Kearney. That was my first game, second week. And, you know, it was just a different experience. That speed, that physicality, you know, the intensity, it was different. And I kind of knew right then I was made for this. Like, I, I wasn't really scared like I was in my first high school game. Like, I remember my first high school game. I was nervous. My first college game, I was like, I'm ready for this. Like, this is something that I've been dreaming to do since I was six, play college ball. Like, I was ready. And you, you think if you did, you think if you didn't have that red shirt year to get acclimated, maybe that there would have been nerves where there, where there wasn't for you? Yeah, I, I would say so because, you know, that had been a whole different experience. I had, I wouldn't have been, a, like, I didn't know anything. I'm just blessed that, you know, that redshirt year, you know, you get to see those teams like Pitt State play, uh, Kearney play, you know, we had Lindenwood in the conference at the time, but like MSSU, all those teams, like you kind of get a feel for them as a freshman because you don't really know anything about these schools other than what they've recruited you as or whatever. So that feel really, you know, kind of calmed my nerves because I knew going into Nebraska Kearney how they played. We just lost the year before. They were a physical team. So I knew I was going to be in there for, you know, a barn burner. Uh, and then you you had you had the, the block punt against Lincoln. Now, I don't know if you were. You blocked the punt. I feel like if the ball had bounced correctly, you could have gotten that man for the yeah. touchdown. So that, now walk me through that. Walk me through that play. How were you, how were you able to get that block? You know, uh, shout out to Coach Holland. Uh, Coach Holland really just, uh, I was playing M5, and he said, hey, you know, we're going to send you on a blitz this week. We feel like you're fast enough to get there. And I just timed it up well. I played linebacker as a kid. My dad taught me how to blitz well, and the timing just was perfect, you know. You know, Daniel Boffman, Jiffy Hall, Marlo Hughes, they give me, you know, they give me uh, 
stuff about not picking that up and scoring, but I was like, I don't want to mess this up. <laughs> that, was, that was the only thing going through my mind. I was like, let's make the safe play and not get po- uh, pointed out on film the next day. Uh, okay, so uh, you finished that year uh, 14 carries, 60 yards. You had 63 yards on catches. Then, it, it, well, I guess before that, Northeastern State game, you all scored 82 points. Mm. What was what, what what was that what was that experience like? Because I imagine I don't know if you if you score. I mean, I know you yourself scored forty nine points in the game, mm. but eighty two is a lot. Is a lot of points oh, yeah. in four quarters. So what yeah. what what was that? I guess post game atmosphere like in the in the locker room. Do you want to do you want to hear the truth? Yeah, about I do. That game? <laughs> you know, Coach Bobak actually came in at halftime. I love him to death, but he said. Uh, you know, it's never been about winning. It's been about cleanliness. And we only gave up 14 points, but he was very, very mad that we gave up 14 points. We were winning, like, by 25 points at the time, 28 points. But he was very mad that we gave up 14 points. He thought we looked mediocre out there. So, you know, coming out at halftime, you know, everybody kind of had to have a little fire under their, you know, the butt because he was not happy with the results, even though we were winning by so much. So it was kind of like, hey, we kind of have to put up 80 to satisfy him today now i remember that 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 post game because he came i expected him to be in a great mood scored 82 and he's just like yeah you know we we didn't we didn't really play good in the first half i'm sitting there like but coach you had like 49 what yeah, <laughs> what yeah i know <laughs> yeah i know trust me as players we're like i don't know how much i thought the game has been about winning not winning. <laughs> i thought that comes with winning but yeah <laughs> uh, okay, so then after that, you have 2020 is the COVID year. So what was what was that experience like for you? You know, I, I'm probably different than, you know, all the other people that went through that 2020 year. I was an opt-out. You know, I had severe asthma, high blood pressure, things like that. Just because I didn't know, you know, at the time really what COVID was and how it was going to affect me and my playing career going on to the future. I chose to opt out. I talked to my my dad and he really felt like that was the best, you know, decision for us at the time because, you know, they made it to where you can maintain your scholarship, you know, if you're in good academic standing. And I knew that wasn't going to be a problem for me. So I really had to, you know, take things under my own, you know, my own ballard and just, I had to work out on my own. I had to, you know, hit up guys that I used to play with and they would train me like Langston Underwood people like that, like to get me ready for when I came back in the spring of 2021, just so I wouldn't be so far behind where I wouldn't be able to really do anything. I was working on catching up condition wise, but it wasn't like that. And, uh, you know, COVID was, you know, I talked to people like Johnny Bazell, people like Diego uh, Richardson, the old heads and the talk, you know, COVID was kind of a blessing for some of us. Cause you know, like we would have ended, a lot of us would have ended on that four, four and seven year, you know, a lot of us or that five and six year. So it's just a blessing to be able to have these years added on to the college lifespan, I would say. Well, but what, I mean, what, it hadn't been weird not playing a season. Cause I imagine you. Oh, playing. it was awful. So like from, from that standpoint, especially if you're watching the other levels, they had a season that they didn't, you know, they didn't mm-hmm. have, they, they had some kind of season. So like, how tough was that? watching others play and then knowing that even though you would have opted out, that still no one was able in your level or below to, to have a season. And see, like, 
there were people not being able to have a season in Division Two, but there were people still playing games. Like Pitt State played games, Missouri Western played games, and that was like the more you know the more like concerning thing. It was like, will we as a university allow the football team to play games in the fall, like three or four games, and then that would have put me in a you know like an iffy situation because I wouldn't have been able to you know show what I had, but because we didn't get to play, like it was tough. Like you, Jameis Winston, you know, he said, I realized that it, I didn't love, you know, football. I love playing football and people make fun of that, but it's so true. Like when you're away from the game for a year and you, you know, you don't have the ability to play the game, suit up, you know, even just practice, like you miss playing the game. You miss being in there with your boys, you miss grinding throughout the year. Like, that was the biggest thing. Like I miss game prep. I miss, you know, weekly, you know, those, the game workouts practice, like you miss all of that. Uh, and now you mentioned that you battle asthma. So like, how does that, does that ever kind of like affect you when you're, when you're on the field at all? I mean, yeah, but you know, I've been dealing with this since I was, since I was born and, you know, I ran 500 yards with asthma, you know, I was Gatorade player of the year with asthma. So it really doesn't hold me back as much as it did when I was like real young. So I take my medicine. They have inhalers for me. If it kicks in, it kicks in. I know how to take care of it. I know how to be, uh, I can say persistent with, you know, treating that. Uh, and so, okay. So then the, the, the spring comes, you all, you're able to have that certain Nazarene scrimmage. So what did it feel like to just get back out there and play, even though the game didn't count, but just get back out there and play against somebody other than yourself? Uh, it was awesome. Like, we were excited just to be able to play somebody else in the state. That That's what people don't understand. When you get to play, like, SNU, and, like, we didn't get to play OBU, but, like, we were really ready to play OBU. Like, these Division Two teams in the state, we have to kind of – we want to be prove that we are the Division Two team in the state like if you want to come play division two ball in oklahoma uco is the place to go and like being able to play snu and you know we didn't play that great you know but we were rotating a lot of guys but it was just awesome to be able to play guys in state it was a crowd out there there's people out there it felt like normal life again even though you know you still had to get tested for covid you still had to have a gator on on the sideline it still felt like football and then the week one win over uh, Missouri Western there, how, like, what was that? What was that? What was that post game feeling that like, not only you're getting back to playing meaningful football in the game that counts, but then the kind of win the way you all did Ooh. win. What was that? What was that experience and that feeling like? I tell you this, uh, I scored in that game uh, to start the game off. And that was my first collegiate touchdown ever. My first touchdown since 2017. And it was exhilarating. Like, I was just happy to touch the end zone. Like, people don't understand as a running back or as an offensive player that touches the ball, like, you miss the end zone if you haven't been in the end zone. So I was just – I missed the end zone. And after that game, like, it was the first game we played with Steph and the first time, yeah, first time playing with Keese, Marquise King. And, like, they both had great games. We had – Steph had a long run. Right before that run, I told him, I said, hey, you're about to bounce this thing for 60. He took it to 60. You know, it was just a great game. We felt like everything, everything was rolling. Like we were going to go into Emporia and just roll all over them. But, you know, looking back at it, we made a lot of unscheduled plays, a lot of things outside the offense. We weren't really uh, technical. So 
we kind of were on that winner's high. We weren't focused on uh, getting better after that game. So the result you see in Emporia is just due to our focus. Uh, and and you you finished the last season on 400 yards, three touchdowns, about five yards to carry. What impresses me the most, you only lost eight yards in 71 carries. So, like, how and, – and Jace does this good, too. How, like, but how are you able to – not lose yard, like not lose yard. Uh, you know, I'm not. You know, I might be. You know, a small guy. You know, people might think I'm shifty. I'm not like a Barry Sanders. You know, I'm. I'm I want to be like. You know, I'm named after Walter Payton, so I want to be like Walter Payton. It's getting back to that line of scrimmage and just really getting small. You know, when you need to and knowing when the play is dead. Like when I say that, it's like knowing that you're not going to get more yardage. You know, like you got to get back to the line of scrimmage. And that's something like me and Jace talk about all the time is getting back to the line of scrimmage. Like if it's a bad play or like they call it into the wrong front, the offensive line bust, like it's our job to get back to the line of scrimmage. You know, my 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 motto is like if the, if the outcome is zero, I want to try to get two yards. You know, if the outcome's two yards, I want to get five. So like that's my mentality is like always trying to go forward, trying to fall forward and try to be back to where I'm not putting the team in a bad position where we're second and 12, first and 15, something like that, you know. And now you mentioned that you don't consider yourself a shifty back. So then how would you best describe your, your game then? Oh man, I just say, uh, you know, I'm a physical tough runner. I'm an old school runner. Like those guys in the eighties, like, that's how I would describe myself. Like I'm an old school East coast style runner. You know, I look at all the greats from the past. Like I put people in that are in the eighties and nineties above anybody else. You know, I describe myself as like a Maurice Jones drew, like I'm big, I'm shifty. I can do those things. I can pass block. I can catch out the backfield. You know, I want to be all around back. That's how I want to be. I don't want to be a one trick pony. I want to be somebody you can depend on, on all three downs. And that's something when I, I talked to your new running back coach, uh, Coach Gilbert, there yesterday, he, he he did mention how how you were you are a willing blocker and a good blocker. So and that's something that I feel like a lot of people don't really look at in the grand scheme of things. So why is it important for you to to be such a good blocker? Well, playing the running back position, we're so close to the quarterback and it's all based on like linebackers and, you know, I have to be a good pass blocker for me to be able to play, you know, you know, I'm five, five, 175 pounds. I got to be able to hit guys and be able to withstand my own. And pass blocking is one of the biggest attributes as a running back that you can have. Like I look at some of the greats, like Walter Payton is one of the best pass blockers from the running back position. Maurice Jones-Drew, the same thing. Ezekiel Elliott, the same thing. So when you think about a good running back, you got to have pass blocking in that same that same you know sentence. Pass blocking is uh, a caveat, and it can uh, lead to you know being on the field more because they can trust you more to protect a quarterback. Uh, and and so now, uh, well, I guess I should ask. So Coach Coach, Coach Doral, he, he got there. You you've been through spring now you're in OTS. What so what was your experience like um, for you this this past spring? Kind of filling them out, learning the new offense. How'd that all go for you? You know, I love it. You know, 
I grew up in a pro style offense. That's what I ran growing up. And coming back into that, like I was excited and just coach Doyle's energy and kind of the, the attention to detail that he brings and how he wants the culture to be is just, uh, it's just amazing really. And it's contagious. You know, he comes in, he's a relaxed guy, but he's going to tell you what he wants and he's going to be clear about it. And that's something that, you know, as a player, I can just be thankful for because when there's clarity, you know, there isn't going to be, you know, confusion or there's not going to be distrust because he's very clear with what he, you know, what he wants, how he wants things done. And that's what the biggest thing that I can say is been the biggest difference is just his energy and the intention to detail that he brings to wanting to build a culture here. Uh, and, and, and uh, learning from, from coach Gilbert, obviously he's very successful back in his, in his playing days. Yeah. So what has that experience been like? Oh my God. Uh, you know, he's in the, uh, he's in the USFL right now. So the drill work that he provides, the insights that he provides with his eyes, that's the biggest thing. Like, as a running back, I want to have another set of eyes when I'm running the ball and, you know, to come off the field and be like, hey, would you see, you know, did you see a cut here? Did you see a cut here? And he truly understand how how uh, outside zone feels, how inside zone feels, how a dual concept feels. Like, it's really great uh, feedback. And, like, me being a, you know, a football guy, like, I just love just listening to him and just listening to, you know, how he d- did things at K-State or how he did things at Ball State, like, I just soak it up. It's just an amazing blessing to have a guy like that who's still playing, you know, professionally in in our room to teach us, you know, how to play the running back position. Uh, now, you, you mentioned um, earlier when we were talking about the, 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 uh, the COVID season, about how you and some of the old heads were talking. There aren't a whole lot of, like, true old heads left. Nah. So, like, looking back on that, is, is there, like, a – is that like a kinship between that group? Like looking from where you all started to now. And it's like, I think Johnny Bizel said last of a dying breed when I, when I, when I, when I, when yes. I talked to him. What is that? What is that bond like? You know, like he said, a dying breed, a rare breed. You know, Dante McGee, uh, Johnny Bazell, uh, even I feel like Dylan Buck in there and like Lane Grantham because they played in 2019 as freshmen. But like Marlo Hughes, Jason Harris, like we have a special bond because like we've seen the like the worst of the worst here. And and that's no offense to like anybody who's coached here or participated in sports here. It's just we didn't we weren't good, you know, and we'd seen us be seven and three and be on the verge of making a playoff game and losing to Emporia. And we've been there to be four and six. We've been there to be five, uh, four and seven, we've been there to be five and six. It's just like we're the ones that know it, you know, like some of these young guys, they don't really truly know what has happened in the past. And it's kind of like you're given information, like you're the, the, the bridge between the old and the young, you know, we're kind of keeping tradition, keeping guys' names like Colton Lindsay, the Dylan Halls, like keeping their names still relevant. So they know, you know, in 20, in 2018 playing Northwest Missouri, the guy who made the fourth, you know, the fourth and goal stand, that's Dylan Hall, you know, Clay McKenzie at 2000 yards. He's not, you know, he's not just some random guy that you see, you know, his name, like we are here to preserve, you know, heritage almost can, you know, just the, the tradition of UCO. And it just feels like we're, we're closer since this, you know, 
And I'm not even in the same class as Johnny, but it feels like I'm in the same <laughs> class as Johnny because we've been here for so long together. And and you you are, and so like what from from that standpoint, do you feel like it's it's your it's you all's duty to ensure that the the ones coming up kind of behind you are are able to not only understand the guys that came before, but to also kind of keep paying it forward. Yeah, that's the goal, you know, like the O'Shea Harris is like, I just, you don't want those names to die and just be like, you, you walk into the coach's office, you see the All-American board and just be like, who's that? And you're playing football here. And they have, and they're not like from the seventies or the eighties, they're from, you know, the 2010s. So like keeping that, uh, keeping that and just knowing like how those guys work, that's the biggest thing. Like those guys ask about those guys and how they worked, how they practiced, how they carried themselves and knowing that and like, Guys want to be all Americans. You say, "Hey, this is how this guy was. This is how O'Shea Harris carried himself. This is how he worked. This is how he did things. This is how Clay McKenzie did things." You know, that's the biggest thing. Just carrying on the information that was passed down from us from them is the biggest thing. And do you all ever tell them about how the facilities have upgraded so much? Yeah. When you first got there, I think they were just building. The, the mm-hmm. a performance center. So, you know, guys are coming in now and they might not know that that's necessarily the norm. You all were in the gym. Yeah. Coach's office was in a corner of the, of the, of the gym. We're on the second floor of the Hamilton. You can hear the volleyball team uh, in the background while you're in meetings. Like, yeah, it, it is a different feel. We tell people, I tell people all the time, like the story about just getting into the SPC is hilarious. Like, is week two, and they're like, if we don't come out of the SPC, people are going to be mad because they had a bunch of building violations and stuff like that, conduct issues through like the, the construction. So they were like, you guys aren't going to move into there, but you're going to come out of there from the second game just so people think that it's open. Like, that's the funny thing. Like, we get to carry because not a lot of people know that. Not a lot of people are still here for that. But yeah, seeing like the new field, like the new turf, the new stadium, like, I, it's just, it's crazy. Like they don't understand how different it has been. And even me, like I only spent a fall camp in Hamilton and then we moved into, you know, the SPC mid year. So it was, I'm even, I really don't even know that much about it. I didn't get to work, uh, work out in the old weight room, but I've heard stories about it. I know guys who have Johnny, you know, Dante, they talk about it all the time. Uh, and and also talking to those guys, it really seems like the past few years, it, it almost seemed like it, it's it's really, it's it's hurt you all personally. Like, this isn't one of those where it's just mm-hmm. like, okay, mm-hmm. we, we kind of had a few down years. 2019, we had a bunch of injuries. Last year, we had some bad bricks and close games. There just seems to be a sense that, like, no, we're better than this, and it shouldn't have mm-hmm. kind of been determined by those outcomes. So... How does knowing that, like, how does that kind of fill you all heading into fall? You know, it's hunger. You know, we talk about it all the time as a group, you know, running backs and quarterbacks meet together. We talk about not being satisfied, you know, and that's the biggest thing that I feel like as a team, we can all agree on. We kind of got satisfied, in four, you know, that five and six year, that four and seven year, like we felt like we didn't have to work for nothing. And, you know, a lot of the things, you know, that contributed to those things were out of our control as players. But it's just being, you know, if you're a guy like me, I'm a Gatorade player of the year, like you said, or a guy like Stefan who came from TCU. Like, we still feel like we're 
some of the best players in the country, no matter what division. And you can't say that when you're four and seven. You can't say that when you're five and six. You know, that's why it's personal because, you know, we have a lot of talent on this team. We have a lot of good guys on this team, a lot of good character on this team. And to say that we're, you know, a four and seven team is disrespectful because we know that we're better than that. I can agree with all those guys that are saying like, yeah, we took it personally because we're way better football players than five and six and four and seven. Uh, and and so heading into the season, I know obviously you all you want to get back to winning ways, win a lot of games, make the playoffs, compete for a championship. But like, do you personally have any individual goals that you're trying to hit? I know Jay said he wants, you know, it's twelve hundred yards. Do you have any like any personal goals that you want to try to reach this this, this coming season? Ah, uh, man, I got some. You know, uh. I haven't really thought about anything yardage wise, like or touchdown wise. Like I want to win. Like I've had success as a singular person. I've had 500 yards, I've had 2000 yards, 2600 yards. I haven't won a state championship. You know, I haven't, I haven't won a conference championship. Like that's the things that I want more than anything is to be a successful team. Like if that comes with me being a 1500 yard rusher and having 20, uh, 20 touchdowns, like so be it, you know, but the goal is to win the MIAA and then make the playoffs. Like that's the only goal that's in my mind right now. Like I could tell you all these personal goals, but it don't mean a thing if, you know, we don't do anything successful. You know, I feel like I'm past that, you know, selfish point in my life where like, I think that the only thing that matters is statistics. Like I want to leave something here that nobody's ever, you know, done since 1980, you know, 86. Or whenever the last national championship is like that means more to me when being an all-american or all-conference like those are my goals like writing my name in stone and not in dirt like that's my biggest thing is leaving a legacy so that when i'm gone people can look at my name like clay mckenzie the o'shea harris's the you know the noah hammonds all those guys that are up on that board like i want to be like that uh and, and so how then do you go about uh, trying to achieve those goals and be like the Clay McKenzie? Oh, just work. I mean, that's all I can do is work. You know, all I know is work. I've been a guy, three-sport guy, went from sport to sport to sport. So all I know is working all around. So that's all I can tell you is just working on my craft and just being mentally ready. I know that's not really a problem anymore, being old. But just get my physical and my mental ready. And, you know, I'll let God handle the rest because, you know, it's up to him. Uh, okay, well, now, before I get you out of here, we do this with all the new guests, kind of get, get to know your questions. Now, I see there's a terrible towel in the background. Yeah, you see it? Hey, hey, and, see and it? I'm glad that this <laughs> I'm glad yeah. when I talked to Johnny. He was a Steelers fan. Yeah, <laughs> I'm yep, glad there's some Steelers fans in there. Now, I have to ask the draft. Okay, were you, <laughs> did you nervous? Because you know we don't trade up, and you, you know we needed a quarterback. <laughs> so, like, how nervous were you waiting? You or was it pick twenty? How, how nervous were you waiting for that? You know, I text my dad. My dad's the reason I'm a Steelers fan. He's from the East Coast. He, you know, he brought that Pittsburgh energy back here, and he raised me a Steelers fan. And I texted him, and I was like, "Yeah, it feels like we're gonna get Kenny Pickett." And I said that around after uh, New Orleans didn't take him. I was like, "Yeah, it seems like we're gonna get." Kenny Pickett. So I don't know. I was uh indifferent because I'm a guy 
where, you know, I felt like our offensive line probably needed more help, you know, or the defensive line now that, you know, Stephon Tewitt's not there, but I wasn't really thinking quarterback. I knew quarterback was going to happen. It was kind of like, uh, I don't want it to happen, but it's going to happen. But I, didn't, I, don't know. I thought Mitchell Trubisky and Mason Rudolph would be good in the room. And personally, obviously, Dwayne Haskins passing away to a wrench in there. But I thought Dwayne Haskins was going to be the starting quarterback until he passed away, unfortunately, personally. And I don't know if they draft Kenny Pickett if, you know, Dwayne Haskins is still alive. Yeah, because I think a lot of Steelers fans really, especially after last preseason, like we had a lot mm-hmm. of hope there that yeah, the win could turn it around. That are you you in the Mason Rudolph camp because it's split. No. Some people just can't stand no. this man, <laughs> and some still feel like you know he hasn't been given a legitimate ch- a chance. Where, like, where, where do you fall on that Mason Rudolph? A legitimate chance was Detroit not a legitimate chance? Nah, I'll say this. I, I feel like there is like they had to hold him back a little bit because of Ben. They couldn't just throw him out there, and he did look better than Ben in the Detroit game, even though we tied. He did look better than Ben. I felt like they they kind of had the little you know leash on him to say, hey, we can't. I mean, people are gonna be asking, why aren't we playing Mason Rudolph? Because it's Big Ben, that's why. <laughs> but yeah, I'm not a Mason Rudolph fan at all. Like, I'll take Kenny Pickett or Mitchell Trubisky before you know <laughs> Mason Rudolph any day. I mean, Mitchell Trubisky took uh, the Bears to the playoffs twice. Put him in the Hall of Fame. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, okay, good. I, see, I'm just saying Mason Rudolph. I didn't really like the man at OSU. I felt like James Washington kind of made this man, and then we see what he does in Pittsburgh, and I'm just like, yeah, I don't think he's the guy, especially after you tied with the Lions. Like that. Mm. And then, <laughs> I remember watching that. Really, we tied with, <laughs> with, and, the, and with the Lions. Me, as, a Steeler fan, as a Steeler fan, I've had some, some moments where I'm like, what are we doing? The Browns playoff game, the Jacksonville Jaguars playoff game. But actually, that's the reason I didn't go to Pitt State. It was because the Jags played the Steelers on that same day. And Pittsburgh <laughs> lost. And I was in Pittsburgh, Kansas. And I looked at my dad and I was like, this does not feel right. <laughs> I was like, yeah, I don't like, know. That, 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 that Lions game was so bad. I mean, they yeah. said, well, it was raining. But it's the Lions. <laughs> it's the Lions. The Lions. You just- <laughs> it, to make it worse, the rush defense was terrible that game. Oh, I know. It was awful. It was awful. It was hard. What are we doing? It was was a bad game to watch. (laughs) (laughs) It was so. See, like we had, we had that. We had those moments, but then you have moments like the, like the Baltimore game, where we somehow just throw a slant to change clay for every play, and we get field goal range. If I'm Lamar Jackson, I'm I'm scared of Pittsburgh. He hasn't played good at all. Against Pittsburgh, I don't think I think he has like five interceptions against Pittsburgh, three touchdowns. Like, I think we got the Ravens number. Hey, I want them to pay him more, pay him <laughs> for five years, so we can beat him for five more years. Okay, I'm worried about Cincinnati Bengals. <laughs> yeah, because the Bengals came out of nowhere last year. I didn't anticipate yeah. them being that 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 good, and I'm like, we can't. We can't be falling to being like third, fourth in that division. We got to stay well, in that top two. I don't think Mike Tom's gonna let that happen. I don't think Mike Tom's gonna let that happen. But you know, the Cincinnati team—they look like that Husman Zada, you know, Ocho Cinco, you know, those Carson Palmer days. I was like, hmm, we're gonna be in a, a tough division for the next couple of years because top to bottom, 
this a tough division in the AFC North. Cleveland's not going to go nowhere. Cincinnati's not going nowhere. Baltimore's not going anywhere. In Pittsburgh, I'll say this. That defense is here to stay, and they're going to compete. Offense is young. Austin, I thought the kid from Memphis is a great pickup. I think, I don't know if Deontay Johnson's going to be there for too much longer with that pick, but Pickens and him are going to be big, big acquisitions to that offense just to make it more diverse from the receiver uh, the receiver position because I don't think we were very – had a lot of depth after, you know, Deontay Johnson and Claypool because Juju was hurt all year. and James Washington runs two routes. So we need a little help at that receiving room. Well, you see, I'm, I'm glad you mentioned Mike Tomlin because people – I feel like – see, I feel like we're, we're kind of spoiled as Steelers fan. Like we, oh, we yes. start off slow <laughs> and it's just like, you know, I don't know. It might be time for Mike to eat out the door. And you sit there and you're just like, Mike won games with Doug Hodges as a quarterback. Like this man's not even playing pro ball anymore. Like, you think about, like, like That's what I tell people. I said, I think we're going to be okay with whomever's playing quarterback. We won with Doug Hodges. Like, yeah, and we and we, we and, and we won with Big Ben literally only throwing slants. Like this man same, couldn't throw the ball down the field. <laughs> slants and pitches <laughs> and bubbles, like, and still had a winning season. Thirteen of them, thirteen That's straight of them. Like, like he, he's never. I had get mad. I get season. mad. I get mad because people don't give Mike Tomlin his respect. I no, mean, they no. say, "Oh, he got the he got the Steelers job, and it was in great position." Blah, blah, blah. I mean, he still won a, a Super Bowl in his first three years. You know, he still was in two Super Bowls in his first five years. Like, you don't – anybody else, they're calling that guy the next whoever. You know, I people put Andy Reid above him. People put Sean Payton above him. I'm like, there's nobody as consistent as Mike Tomlin. And, you know, me wanting to go into coaching, like, I inspire to be Mike Tomlin with the media. Like, he always has something – to say that it's just like, oh, <laughs> you know, we're still squirreling those nuts. You know, he said, we want, we want uh, volunteers, not hostages. Like, mm-hmm. he's a soundbite machine. I love Mike Tom. And, like, people don't understand, like, 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 there have been years where they've been decimated by injury. And you still, mm-hmm. like, come week 16, 17, we're still fighting for wild cards. Like, you know, like, that that doesn't happen everywhere. Like, look at, nope. look at uh, what was that, doubts for years ago when they were injury prone? Six wins. Six wins. Six wins. And Dallas you know, Cowboys fans will tell you, hey, how about them Cowboys after one win? Like, come on now. That's the only bad thing about living in Oklahoma. I do not like the Dallas Cowboys. And people will let you know about the Dallas Cowboys. They could be two and fifteen. And then be like, how about them Cowboys? Like, God, we just beat the Eagles once. And, and Dallas Cowboys fans would be like, Philadelphia Eagles fans are terrible. I'm gonna have you. Talk to one of your own fans. Like back in the nineties. <laughs> like, yeah, I'm like, man, you like, <laughs> made the playoffs twice in the last twenty years. Talk about America's team. I don't know about that. There's a reason they came to Art Rooney with that name first, and he was like, "Nah, we're the Pittsburgh Steelers. We're not America's team." <laughs> oh, that's great. All right, well, it's good to know another Steelers fan in the building. Yeah. <laughs> the building, mm-hmm. that's very good. Uh, okay, let's oh, now. Do you have a, a, a favorite Steelers play? Oh, oh, why are you gonna do this to me? That's like choosing my favorite child. I ain't got no kids, but I imagine this is how it feels. <laughs> ah, you know, I say this I'll give you an offense and a defense one, okay? Offensively, Jerome Bettis, like, 
I've only worn three numbers in my whole life, 34, 33, and 36. And I wore 36 because of Jerome Bettis. He had asthma. I heard the story about him in Notre Dame as a kid. And I was like, wow, that game, it really inspired me to play football. So Jerome Bettis on the offensive side and the defensive side, mm, it's a tie between Mel Blunt and Troy Palomalo. Like I didn't get to see Mel Blunt play, but I saw Troy play and he's one of my favorite players of all time. So I'd say it's a tie between those two. That's fair. That's fair. I guess if I was to go offense, I don't know. I was a huge Mike Wallace guy. I just like that oh. Mike Wallace. Like that time we had Emmanuel him. Sanders. Yeah. Oh, that was so over Times Ward. I never forget that game mm-hmm. when he touched out against Green Bay. Mike Wallace. Oh, <laughs> so oh he was he was so dirty. And then it's I would say A.B. I was going to say A.B., but my dad, he would like that. Even though I I tell people to this day, the Baltimore Ravens game in 2018, he caught a slant. He won that game by himself. Oh, yeah. Like, yeah. There's not a lot of people that I've seen from the receiver position win a game by himself, but A.B., he did a lot of that. But, yeah. I mean, it had to do a lot with Ben. It had a lot, a lot to do with A.B., so there's a little bit of both. I don't want to be like A.B. carry Ben or something. <laughs> now, now do, are, are you one of those Steelers fans that, that don't – how do you fall on the James Harrison – some people will hold it against him that he went to play for the Bengals and for the Patriots. No, no. We cut him, he cut him four times before he started for the Steelers. Like, man, man said, hey, I want to play. Like, with the New England Patriots situation, it's kind of messed up from the Steelers' point of view, I would say, because he was like, I really want to play. But it's T.J. Watt's uh, rookie year. They really wanted him to be a men, you know, like a mentor. But James Harrison, if you've heard stories about him, he's not that type of guy. Mm-hmm. So when they were like, we're not going to really play you, and then they gave him like three or four snaps that year, and they wound up going to New England, I didn't hate it because it's business at the end of the day. Like James Harrison like is one of the best Steelers of all time just because of how he was so relentless in being a Steeler. Like He got cut three or four times, five times before being a defensive player of the year. Like. It's amazing. Like his whole story is just great. Okay. Okay. Well, uh, all right. Good. All right. Well, it's <laughs> very good. Oh, uh, let's see. Okay. Um. Okay. Your 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 favorite hobby outside of football? Music. Music. Uh. You know, I'm a pro uh, media student here at UCO, and I got a radio show that premieres on Saturday in Edmond at seven on the U on U Central Radio and. Like, that's all I do. I listen to music. I play video games. I love old soul. I love old R&B, old hip hop. Like, that's my stuff. Like, I really love listening to music, talking about music. Like, it's a real passion of mine. Okay, so, so your, your, your favorite, your favorite artist and favorite song? Oh, I couldn't. When you talk, like, I can't give you that at all. Like, I had to go genre by genre. Decade by decade, but I'll say this: my general favorite is probably Prince. Okay. My favorite song by Prince is probably "Adore." So yeah, there you go. Okay. Hip hop is such a big, uh, a big influence for me. Like I love all East Coast rap. I think East Coast rap is a little bit superior to everybody else. Jay Z, Rakim, Big Daddy Kane, LL Cool J, all those guys. I love. 
I love that East Coast rap. Okay, okay. And it sounds, it sounds like you and uh, the corner, uh, Jalik Lewis, get along really, really well. I know when he came on, he mentioned how he was an R&B guy. It was yeah. the first. Most don't usually say R&B, so okay, okay. Yeah, yeah. Hey, I'll tell you this. I listen to R&B before games. Like, I want to move like a swan. I don't want to be all tense. <laughs> I want to move like a swan. I want to be all loose. I want to be ready to to go at any time. Like, I don't want to be all tense up and listen to that, you know, hard stuff. Like, I listen to R&B. I'll relax. I'll get my mind right. Now, now is, is it like the, is it like a, a set playlist or, or you kind of just... Oh, yeah. Yeah, I got playlists on playlists on playlists, depending <laughs> on the mood, depending on the game. Like, I got a specific song. Like, I've been listening to this song. It's from the 70s. It's uh, uh, by The New Birth. And I've been listening to that since I was a 16-year-old. And it's a old, old soul song. And I got that on the playlist. And I got to hit that before every single game. And it just gets my mind right. Like, you just sit there and you just think about, what you've been through and why you do it. Like, I'd rather think about that. Now, do you ever get a hard time for that? You know, ever hear that bunch of people in there, they're getting hyped, listening to, you know, some, some, maybe some, some, yeah, some young boy, yeah. Right, yeah. And, and there you are, you're sitting in there and you're listening to like Prince. You, 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 you ever get, get flack for that? No, nah, they don't know about that. They see me and they're like, dang, this guy's probably listening to some hard stuff. Because I'll be in there, I'm like, mm, mm. <laughs> And I want to be your lover's arm. <laughs> That's fantastic. Uh, you I, this, I, listen, I listen to hip-hop before games. Like, I listen to a lot of hip-hop before games. But, like, when it's that time to, right before the field, I got to calm myself down. I got to listen to that new birth. I got to listen to some Prince. I got to listen to some Teddy P just to calm myself down. Uh, now, you also mentioned that you were a gamer. Now, I got to ask. Are we Xbox, PlayStation, or PC? I tell you this, PlayStation. And if I brought my computer, if I brought my computer over to the TVs, you see a P- PlayStation Two, you see a PlayStation Three, you see a PlayStation Four. I ain't got the five yet, but when I get that money, I'm gonna get the five. I'm a PlayStation person through and through. I don't play a lot of games. I just play like Madden, 2K. I play sports video games, but <laughs> I I don't really play anything else than that. Now, when you when you play 2K, who is your team of choice? Team of choice? Uh, you know, I, I usually go with the Bucks. I like Giannis Antetokounmpo. Like, I'm a big fan of him. But I don't really play, uh, uh, like, play now because it's a little different. I like to play, like, my player, my park, stuff like that. I get to play with, like, the DN, like, uh, some of the guys on the team. We, we meet up. We get on the park play some games, try to go on a streak. That's the fun part about those games is just being able to connect with some of the other teammates in the house. And we're just sitting there chilling, talking, running the score up on some little kids <laughs> or some little kids running the uh, score up on us. I mean, me, and Mike Pope, me and Mike Pope were playing the other day and this seven year old gave us the business. We didn't even score a point. Dang. I don't uh, no kudos for, for a mini back. It's not me. Come on. So they got I mean, <laughs> hey, these seven-year-olds be out here playing 24 hours a day. I can't compete with that. I got real life things to do. I gotta go to practice. I gotta study. <laughs> I don't got enough time to be putting in that much hours. These cats be different on this game. <laughs> oh, I'm starting shit. to feel how my dad feels. <laughs> 
<laughs> the first time I beat him, he was like, yeah, I got a job, Peyton. I ain't get to sit here and play the game all the time. I was like, I guess you got a point. <laughs> oh, okay, your, um, your favorite food? Uh, I'd say chicken. I eat chicken every day. Okay. It's good. I, I, I'm in the same in the same camp. In the same camp. Mm-hmm. Uh, are you? Do we? Is it roasted, barbecue, fried? How, how do we prefer the chicken? I eat chicken anyway. You put chicken in front of me, I eat it any which way. You could can it, I'd eat it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Now, uh, now, who is your go-to um, place for chicken? For chicken in Edmond. Okay, see area. Hmm. Depends on what type of chicken I want. Like if I want like wings, I mean obviously Eddie's is the place to go. But like I just go to Chick-fil-A. They don't have anything uh of, of relevance in Edmond that I'm really like, oh, I gotta get that chicken. Uh, <laughs> I haven't been to Chicken Foot, but I don't know. I can make better fried chicken at home than that. I'm I promise you that. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay, yeah, so okay, so you mentioned you can make fried chicken home. Do do you do you cook anything? Anything? Any? Okay, well now you said that. <laughs> I cook everything. I, my go-to cook meal is this thing called porcupine skillet. My stepmom taught me it. It's rice, beef. Uh, there's some rotel in there, and then uh, some uh, onion mix. That gets me right all the time. I put some ranch over it. Yeah. I, but I cook everything. Pasta, chicken, steak, the whole nine yards. Uh, now, when, when we when we cook the steak, how we, is it rare, medium rare, well done? What are we going with that? Uh, I'm anywhere from medium rare to medium, depending on my day, depending on how I feel. Yeah, I, I like to have a little blood in there. Okay. Uh, let's see. Say your 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 favorite TV show. Ooh, that's a tough one. Say since I'm watching it currently, I'll say The Boys on uh, Amazon. That oh no no, I take that back because I just finished season three of uh, uh, Godfather Harlem. That's probably my favorite show right now. Godfather oh. Harlem. It's on uh, Epics and uh, it has Forrest Whitaker in it playing uh, Bumpy Johnson. And it's a really good uh series, three seasons to it. Pretty good. Okay. All right. Um, and uh, in terms of gear, because I know you mentioned Trayvon Craig earlier. I've been told yeah, by Trayvon. Kobe Stevens, Trayvon Craig kind of can go overboard there as far as the gear. Now, with you, <laughs> yeah, he'd be uh, him and Jonathan Mosley. They have a band for each inch of their arms. I'm like, golly. There's a band for each centimeter. Like, you should just be wearing sleeves. As many bands you have on your arm. Now, Trayvon has tattoos. I wouldn't. Sh- I wouldn't. Sh- you know, hide my tattoos. Like I see it with Jonathan, but man, Trayvon, he got that nice light skin with the, the tattoos. I show that off. <laughs> now, for you with the with the gear. Now, what what That's are we right. what are we rocking with? No swag. I see. I don't. I need gloves. I need my ankles taped. Like on the outside, I need spat, and I need my knees covered with like some type of sock or tight, and I'm gonna be okay. The most swag I got on the field is turf tape, and 
I'm debating on if I'm going to put turf tape back on my arms after the, uh, I have like a mark still from this turf tape taking my skin off. So I'm pondering on if I'm going to put turf tape back on this season. Yeah. I think so far it's, it's been you, I think it's been you and Kobe and, and Kobe that so far I don't want to talk to that haven't really been heavy into the gear. Most everybody. I mean, you talk to Johnny. You talk to Johnny Bazell. Like Johnny has a red mouthpiece. He has the Joker gloves in practice. Like, hey, Johnny, a cool cat, man. He wear that do rag under his helmet. He take that off, man. Hey, that's a cool cat, man. Hey, I'm not trying to be that. <laughs> <laughs> well, see, I talked to Johnny, and you know, he he did tell me. He told me gloves. He didn't tell me what kind of glove. He just said gloves. Then I I didn't know the man. He he has the Joker gloves. He put it up and has a smile. He he likes those. He always has some type of practice glove like that since I've been here. He always has like red gloves or something in practice. Yeah, I guess that's from Carl Albert. Yeah, man, that that makes sense. Now with the with with the white helmets, now you was here and it was only blue helmets. So what when when did you when did you learn about the white helmets? And what was that like when you all first wore that first icy white set of all white? I'll tell you this. Coach Coach Green just like said, hey, here's a white helmet. Like we're gonna have white helmets. And guys are like, what? They kind of put it up on the mantle on the on the uh the, like the guy that they have the jerseys on. And we we're like, is that gonna be the thing? He was like, Maybe, you know, we're trying to get it past the athletic director, blah, blah, blah. And then that we came the first week came out and they're like grab another helmet and I've never worn two helmets so it was a new experience for me but when we came out in Emporia and all white like mm, there's nothing like all white well there is something like all white all black is rivals all white but it was a it was a cool experience even though like the Bronco is a different color than the the blue one or you know on our jerseys we all it is still cool. Now, now, are you are you are you hoping that you kind of mix it up with the with the white and the blue helmet this year? Because last year yeah, it was white yeah. throughout the whole season, and then sometimes I'm that. like, if you go to white with sense. the yeah, I mean, like if you go white with the blue and then the white pants, it works. But the few mm-hmm. times you all went white with the all blue, I'm like, because throwing the blue, blue like, helmet, it makes sense. Throw on the blue helmet. I, like I get, I get. You want to show it all because I know it's something that's kind of been like the good old sense of blue, but yeah, but we didn't um, even wear yellow pants. Like I see that you have uh, the picture with the yellow pants. We didn't wear yellow pants at all last year because Coach Bobak thought they were cursed. So yeah, like we were only gonna have white or blue one last year. Well, yeah. So it, will the yellow? Do you think the yellow pants will make a comeback this year, though? I have no clue. I I have no clue, no clue at all. I'm all I'm all for the yellow pants. It's a good it's a good look. Just get us some new white pants. Those things are brown. Coach K, uh, shout out to Coach Kaleo. He spent like two days before we went to Pitt State just bleaching the pants and the shirts, like just trying to get them white so the top wasn't white and the bottom wasn't brown. Shout out to him. I know that was a hard a lot of hard work. <laughs> I didn't even realize that we they didn't wear the gold the gold pants. Like maybe you, wow, okay, that must have been an oversight. Okay, well, the last time we wore gold pants was 
I'm pretty sure this for his game. <laughs> no, 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 no. We wore we wore gold pant. We wore gold pant against Emporia in 2019 when we lost, and that's when he was like, "Yeah, we're not doing this again." Hey, <laughs> <laughs> that I guess that's wow. I did not realize that. Okay, well, mm-hmm. all right. Well, yeah. yeah Hopefully they make a make a return because they they are kind of clean. I think you know go the, the blue like we have here the blue helmet, the blue jersey, like the gold. Gold is clean. It's clean. Uh okay. So I guess my final question for you would be, um, to to do you have a message to maybe anybody out there that's still kind of hesitant uh, on the fence about coming to give you all a chance this season about what they could e- expect to see from you all if they came out and 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 watched you play. You know, I'm going to say this. Uh, this team this year is totally different from the last three, four teams I've been on. You know, we got 80, 90 guys here in the summer. You like, you're going to come in this first game, the first home game. We're going to put, you know, we're going to put on a show, you know, and we're going to play good, clean football for the first time in a while. And that's what I want to tell people. Like, we're going to play good football. Like, you're going to be able to go to Tulsa. You're going to be able to go to OSU, go to OU, and then come to UCL and be like, that's just as good as football. Like, that's what I want to tell people. We got the athletes, the Robert Fuentes's, you know, the Noah West, the Mike Popes, you know, the Slaters, the Michael Slaters. Like, we got athletes out here. You know, if you want to come watch the show, like, UCO is going to be rolling this year. I'll tell, I'll tell everybody now, before we get out of here, I forgot to ask about that because now you mentioned the name, John Memory here. What is it like going up against that front in practice? Because that's obviously, in my opinion, probably the best line in the conference. So, like, how, what, what is that, <laughs> what is that experience like <laughs> in practice having to try to run against those guys? I'll tell you this uh, Robert Fuentes, how he plays on Saturdays is how he practices. Oh, boy. And. <laughs> It is a journey. It is a journey in practice sometimes with Robert. It is a journey. We have uh, we have to chip him. We gotta put our responsibility and pass pro to him. Hey, that defensive line, I tip my cap to Coach Sanders. I know he he's smiling. Every time somebody gives a compliment to the D-line, he smiles cheek cheek. <laughs> but yeah, man, that D-line is the real deal. Like it is hard to play against them. And then we got Julius that just came in from Arkansas. Like, he's huge. He's like 6'6". Six, six. It is a handful to block all of those guys. The biggest thing I tell people about that defensive line is, like, they keep coming. They're, like, three deep, four deep. Like, you think you're, you know, going against the third string and, like, Montel, uh, Montez Cozart is, like, in there and he's going crazy. Or uh, Caleb Bigelow is going crazy. And then you think you're okay, then Zane Adams goes off, or like uh, Vodka. Like those guys are stacked in that uh, that defensive room, and we're just happy that we have those guys on our team. God, gotta be gotta be brutal then, because Robert, because <laughs> he's watching Robert put on get a guy. Okay, that's that's. Uh... Well, I'll tell you a story. I'll tell you a story about Robert. We were playing. We're in we're in jerseys and just helmets. Jerseys and helmets. And this is in the spring. And Stefan pulls the ball. He takes off on his own read. Robert's nowhere near him. Like, he's probably five feet from him. And he just jumps. Jumps and swipes his arm. They replay it on film. Some uh, offensive line posted on the Snapchat. I went up to him the next day. I said, hey, man, like, why'd you dive? You had no chance tackling. 
he said, well, in the game, I want him to know that I can make that tackle. You know, you can't practice and not play the same, P. Scott. Hey, you got me there. That's true. If you got to dive to make sure you don't dive in the game, then dive. I ain't going to hold you back. <laughs> that is, that's crazy. Because Rob, Rob, if anybody has to see Robert play, they see Robert play. Robert, uh, that that's a guy who gets like 140% every oh, single yeah. snap. Oh, yeah. Like that, oh, yeah. that Missouri Western game late in that fourth mm. quarter, that final drive. I'm sitting there, I'm sitting there like this man. He played the whole, the whole half, and he's mm-hmm. just coming out of there. And I'm just like, where's he getting this energy from? I, I was, I was mad. And then when Coach Sanders told me that he just got there like a few weeks before fall camp, before I'm sitting there, I'm like, what? So when I say when I say we got the athletes on the defense, this cat has been putting in so much work in the weight room, and you know I'm proud of him because he's really taking a you know a real serious tone to the weight room and wanted to put on a lot of muscle and wanted to you know increase a lot of his maxes. He's been in there working, working like nobody else. So you think that was crazy last year? Just be ready for this year because this cat's gonna go crazy. Him and Mike Slater, like both those guys, I keep my eye on those uh, those two. Well, okay. Well, you 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 heard it here. All right. Well, keep an eye on Slater and Fuentes. Okay. Well, yes, Peyton, sir. I appreciate you taking time this afternoon to come on and talk. And I know we probably talk more about the Steelers and I had a vision. I didn't know you were a Steelers fan. So, and then, right. but I, I am wishing you um, best of luck this 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 season. And you know, talking to everybody, players, and even the coaches, they they all say you know you all are hungry. Uh, you have you have something to prove that you know that last year wasn't reflective. I always said last year to me wasn't reflective of the of the talent because there, there were some bad mm-hmm. breaks in some of the games. But I think yeah. regardless, the talent level was still better uh, than what the record showed. So I'm really looking forward to seeing you all this fall and 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 seeing uh, what you all do this coming season. And if you ever want to come back on, you're you're more than welcome to. Yeah, man, just reach out to me. I'm always ready. You know, this is what I do. You know, for my major, so you know, I'm always comfortable to uh, come on and talk. You know, I'll say this about you know the talent. You know, talent's always been there, and we know that we got to focus. That's the biggest thing: focus and being intentional with everything we do. And if we do that, we're going to be great. We're going to be a great team. I'll tell you that right now. Peyton, I, I, um. I appreciate you coming on and uh, best of luck rest of the off season and and you know heading to the fall. I said you want to come back on, we'll just reach out to you sometime for the season, fall camp and such. And uh, you know if you if you want to come back on, you're more than welcome to. Awesome, thank you for you know having me on. This is a great uh, great show. You know I really enjoyed uh, just having a conversation with you. Well, thank you, Peyton. I really do appreciate that. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. So again, I want to thank Peyton for uh, taking time coming on here. That was I. That was probably one of the better interviews that we've had. Now, obviously, the man's a mass comm major, so kind of like me, kind of good at, at talking. But that, that was very insightful. I didn't know that the man was a wrestler. I also didn't know that uh, he was a Steelers fan. It's very, it's very good. Now that's two. That is him and Bizel the fourth. It's very good to know there are some terrible towels, some student fans in that in that UCLA locker room. Uh, but I, I'm I'm really excited for the season. He seems to echo the sentiment of pretty much everybody I've talked to, especially the older guys like Johnny and uh, and uh, Dante. That you know it, they kind of want to to end their careers. You know, making sure this program is is better than they than they found it. And so I'm really 
really looking looking forward to that. So again, I mentioned in the opener, might be a slow week next week. I don't know, depending on if we do get the two possible interviews are done. So, uh, but you know, anyway, we'll still have some content coming. Uh, we might actually drop that other series there on the YouTube channel uh, in the coming weeks, maybe now that the one-on-one are kind of starting to slow down some. Uh, we've had a roll like eight, six, seven in the past two weeks. So uh, again, I'm extremely appreciative of it all because it just means that we're uh, growing and, and that's all, it's always it's always good. So until that time, my name is Jonathan Goodo, a.k.a. JG Smooth. I'll talk to you all later.